Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. The, the confirmation hearings for uh, William Barr, the guy who engineered and basically ran the cover-up of Iran-Contra back in the day on behalf of Ronald Reagan and George Herbert Walker Bush, the guy who had started out as a lawyer to the CIA at the same time that George Herbert Walker Bush was running the CIA, and then Bush brought him in as the attorney general in 1992. And then in 1993, when Lawrence Walsh, the special prosecutor who was looking into the crimes committed by the Reagan administration, including the possibility that they flipped the election of 1980 by cutting a deal with the Ayatollah to hold the hostages that had been taken during Carter's presidency throughout the entire election cycle, so that Carter would be humiliated and Reagan would win the election of 1980. And in exchange for holding those hostages and then releasing those hostages, the Reagan administration sold weapons to the Iranians because the entire Iranian military was made up of U.S. stuff, right? We overthrew Mossadegh. We installed the Shah back in 54, as I recall. And the consequence of that was that the entire military, the Air Force, the planes, the, the ships, the, the trucks, the half-tracks, the, I mean, you name it, it was all U.S. made. And it could only be brought back to life with U.S. parts. And it could only be maintained as lethal weaponry with U.S. weapons, with U.S. bullets and U.S. missiles and U.S. And Iran was stuck. I mean, they had a hostile adversary on the other side of the border in Saddam Hussein in Iraq. They were a Shia country. Saddam Hussein was a Sunni country. When they finally you know, broke into war, over a million people died on both sides. Or on each side, over two million people died in that war. We were supporting both sides in that war. We were selling chemical weapons to Saddam Hussein, and we were selling maps showing where Hussein's troops were to Iran. We played both sides against the middle. And this was George Herbert Walker Bush's brilliant idea, and Reagan's. And so the Reagan team made a decision in the 1980 election to commit treason the same way Nixon had in 68 when he blew up the peace talks with South Vietnam. And so then George Herbert Walker Bush brought in the CIA lawyer to basically cover the thing up. And that was William Barr, the guy who is testifying before the Senate right now. His job was to cover it up. 
And when he was asked this morning, well, you know, if the Office of Government Ethics says that you should recuse yourself, will you say yes? Will you recuse yourself? This is a question that was answered with the word yes by every previous nominee for Attorney General. And Barr said, well, I don't know. But it'll be my decision to make, not theirs. Right. That's what Whitaker said. Although he didn't go through confirmation. But I mean, you know, that's, that's basically the position that he's taken up to this point. This insanely unqualified guy. So that's going on. Meanwhile, the, the question, the, the shutdown is continuing to roll along. And the weakest link in the chain is starting to be encountered. And that's the Transportation Services Administration, the TSA. In as much as their call-in sick rate right now is pushing 7%, typically it's around 3% this time of year. At 7%, they're not able to fully staff all over the country. Down in Miami, they've shut down parts of the Miami airport. At Dulles in Washington, D.C., they shut down some security clearance areas. I personally think that this, and you know, God forbid, some horrible air collision that can be tracked back to way too long hours at the FAA among the air traffic controllers, this is like critical, critical infrastructure, the TSA and the, and the uh, air traffic controllers. And they're both affected by the shutdown. Nobody's getting paid. So why isn't Mitch McConnell reopening the government? Is it that he's dancing to the tune of the Koch brothers who are saying, and there's like numerous commentators saying this now. There was an article in the Daily Caller, uh, that right-wing uh, website, yesterday or the day before saying, uh, don't reopen the government. The shutdown is proving what the libertarians and the Koch brothers have been saying all along, which is, you don't need this much government. You know, nobody's died. Yeah, so some people, you know, are inconvenienced with not having paychecks. They shouldn't even have jobs because they're government employees. That's the position that these guys are taking. So is McConnell, who has the ability to literally open the government this afternoon, all he'd have to do is hold a vote. Just a simple vote on the exact same legislation that passed the Senate unanimously on December 19th has to be re-voted on because Paul Ryan would not allow a vote in the House before the end of the year. So now Speaker Pelosi had a vote. The Republican legislation that gives Donald Trump $1.6 trillion for his wall has passed the House of Representatives with Republican votes as well as Democratic. And Mitch McConnell could bring it to the floor of the Senate for a vote where it would pass. It would pass with a veto-proof majority. Nobody's disputing that. So why isn't he doing it? Is it because he's sucking up to the Koch brothers because he needs money for his campaign next year? His 2020 campaign, he's going to kick it off next year? Or is it that he's afraid of Donald Trump? Donald Trump has a 55% popularity rating in Kentucky. Mitch McConnell is only 36%. Is it that he's afraid of Trump? He needs the Trump voters. So he's staying in Trump's pocket. Is it that he's worried that the Russians will somehow reveal the, the over $3 million that his senatorial campaign and his Senate leader campaign has taken from Russian-involved oligarchs to pass on to other things? Is it because he's concerned about the truth coming out or stories coming out about his wife's fortune. I mean, Mitch McConnell is a rich man because he married Elaine Chow, his second wife. And, you know, her family made presumably billions, certainly hundreds of millions of dollars with China. It's a Taiwanese family. Her father started the shipping company. He's Taiwanese. They're making all this money shipping stuff from China to the United States. Jobs go to China. The stuff that they make there has to be shipped back here. That's Elaine Chow's business. She's in Trump's cabinet, but she's Mitch McConnell's wife. Is there something there that he's afraid of? You know, why is Mitch McConnell behaving this way? 
I don't think that any of these possible answers are require the rest of them to be discarded. And then on top of that, you've got Pompeo and Pence, who in the last couple of weeks have both talked about the end of the world. Which, of course, the Koch brothers love this kind of conversation, right? Because it's like, why worry about global warming? Jesus is going to make everything new again. This has been the go-to response since the early 1980s when Reagan put James Watt in charge of the Interior Department. And a reporter asked James Watt, why are you selling off federal parks, federal lands, at pennies on the dollar to companies that want to come in and mine for uranium and coal? It's ruining these federal parks. And we got plenty of uranium and coal. It's not like there's a shortage. These are not like strategic materials. And James Watt said, well, it doesn't matter if they ruin the national parks, because Jesus is going to return and make all things new. Well, Mike Pompeo in a speech last week said essentially the same thing. And Mike Pence has said this on numerous occasions. These guys are apparently actual true believers in this doomsday death cult, a small cult that really began in the, in the 1800s, in the 19th century in Christianity. The 1860s, 1870s, there was this, this preacher Somewhere out east, as I recall, he was in western Massachusetts or eastern Ohio or something like that. And he came up with the math. He said, okay, I've read Revelation and I've figured out when the world's going to end. And he started this whole thing nationwide, this whole craze. And a whole bunch of cults came out of this. The Seventh-day Adventists with Ellen White, the Jehovah's Witnesses. They all started as doomsday cults. They all said, okay, you know, like the, the Seventh-day Adventists, they had picked a day. I don't recall the day, but let's just say it was, you know, December 3rd, 1887. I mean, it was within 15 years of that, right? It was right around that period of time. They all went up on top of a mountain, and they were supposed to watch the world end, and it didn't end. So they said, oh, well, you know, let's just reboot this religion as a kind of a Christian thing where we keep the Sabbath on Saturday and we don't eat meat. And they turned the Seventh-day Adventists into, you know, kind of a benign religion. But I don't think that Pompeo and Pence are going to turn anything into a benign religion with this absolute commitment to an end of the world thing that gives them the excuse to not do anything. Oh, we don't have to do anything about global warming. The world's going to end. We don't have to do anything about nuclear war. The world's going to end. We don't have to do anything about pollution. You're worried about your kids getting cancer? They're not even going to survive. The world's going to end. These, this is the guy who's running our foreign policy, Mike Pompeo in the State Department, and the guy who is second in line to the, to the presidency, Mike Pence. We got serious problems here in River City. There's a special group of listeners and viewers of the Tom Hartman program who actually support our program. They help underwrite what we're doing through regular ongoing contributions at Patreon or on YouTube. And for those folks, we produce special video content that's not available anywhere else. So check it out and thank you for supporting our program. Tom Harmon here with you. Let's check in with Talk Media News and find out what's going on in the world today. This report brought to you by Goats for the Old Goat.com. And loving what you do, Ellen Ratner's new book, Luke Vargas is the chief foreign correspondent for Talk Media News, joins us today from the headquarters at the UN in New York. If you want to hear Luke present one world news story a day in just two minutes, search Luke Vargas wherever you get your podcast. Luke, Theresa May has got her back to the wall right now in this Brexit deal. What's going on there? Yeah, she's addressing the House of Commons as we speak. We're expecting a vote 
on a Brexit deal. I've been listening to the debate in the House of Commons. The, the biggest bit of news is that the opposition leader, Jeremy Corbyn of the Labour Party, issued a recommendation to lawmakers saying he hopes they vote down the deal that is on the table today, and then they move either today or very soon to call a new general election, saying that Theresa May would have no standing to be able to lead anymore. Does Corbyn think that this is his way into the into number 10 Downing Street? Yeah, and I, I think he there was another part of this speech earlier on where he basically is making an appeal to the European Union, saying even though you guys have said repeatedly to the Theresa May government, we won't reopen Brexit, we're not going to go under the hood and tweak this thing once we've already agreed to it, just be open to the fact that I might be prime minister and I would have a very different approach. You might like working with me more. So he's giving a message there that's targeted both domestically and I think to folks in Brussels. And maybe they would be willing to open this up if he's the prime minister. But again, I, I, you know, listening for the past hour, I keep arriving on this very uh, it's not a, a terribly flashy headline, but I think it's been the complicated reality of Brexit for quite a, wh- a while now, which is that there are four or five pathways here that all seem to have equal support, but none is enough to win over the majority of the members of the House of Commons. You had uh, members of the Scottish National Party today giving pretty eloquent cases for why, you know, the results of a referendum built on a lie about the cost of EU membership uh, can't stand. We've got to go up for a second vote. You've had people talking about how, oh, no, actually, uh, these are Tories, conservatives who are skeptical of Theresa May's deal, but who are making the case that uh, if you vote down this deal, it just emboldens the no, you know, remain in the European Union cause that right. uh, the conservatives think they're doing their cause a favor by nitpicking Theresa May's deal. In fact, they would be helping out the side that wants well, what's, the EU. What uh, is Corbyn's position that there should be another vote or is he st- is he in favor of Brexit? He, he said uh, Corbyn's opinion, as he expressed it today, is that he wants lawmakers to vote down the deal proposed by Theresa May, not to go back to the European Union in, in the frantic next few weeks and try and change the deal, which is what I think uh, still a number of lawmakers think is possible, though notably not the prime minister. I think she's realized and gotten the message, and, and I think everybody's gotten the message from the European Union leaders in the past few months. They're not interested in revising the current Brexit deal. So Corbyn is saying... No, we end we we end Theresa May's tenure of trying to craft Brexit tonight if we vote down this deal. Now let's and then let's formalize, you know, kicking her out. Um, again, I, I I am not uh, in any way a whip count expert when it comes to the House of Commons, so I don't know uh, exactly what the vote total is going to be. My prediction remains that this will be defeated. This current Brexit deal in the next few minutes. But I also think the argument from some members of Theresa May's party that slashing this deal, imperfect as it may be, is actually just going to give, you know, perhaps incremental, but notable new support to those who want another vote, uh, to the, to, you know, the, the no deal Brexit crowd. I, I, I think we'll get a little more support than maybe we expected mm. from Theresa May's own party, but I don't see that it's carrying. Yeah. It's all getting very, very complex. I'm curious if you've heard from any of your sources around the world, you're well wired into the international community. If anybody's alarmed by the fact that the whole Iran-Contra scandal where the Reagan campaign and apparently George Herbert Walker Bush cut a deal with the Iranians to hold the hostages long enough to humiliate Jimmy Carter so that they would win the election in 1980 and then paid off that deal by shipping weapons to Iran, 
and then taking the money from that and shipping weapons down south and all that kind of stuff. That investigation was moving in 1973 into, with Lawrence Walsh, the special prosecutor, into the area of the complicity of George Herbert Walker Bush himself, who was then president. And Walsh wanted him to provide his diaries, and he was refusing, and it looked like it was going to get really ugly. And William Barr, who was Bush's attorney general, he had been his uh, lawyer for the CIA back when Bush was the director of the CIA. William Barr stepped in and said, let's just pardon all these guys, and that'll blow up the uh, prosecutor's case. Walsh would not even be able to continue the pursuit. And so they pardoned Weinberger and five other people, and that was the end of the investigation. It just shut it down and shut it down at the FBI, all the way across. How is the world responding to Trump trying to put his cover-up artist in the position of attorney general? Well, look, I've, I've read the article. I've been seeing NPR came out yesterday with some good coverage about just what you're talking about, that Barr was supporting pardons during Iran conference. Certainly something that you're hearing opinion commentators say, we need to get a pledge from him to protect Robert Mueller today. I don't think he's given that pledge. I'm not monitoring it closely, but I wouldn't yeah. expect No, in fact, he was asked right up front if the Office of uh, Ethics asks you to recuse yourself, will you do so? And he said, that'll be my decision, not theirs. Yeah, why so. say anything useful? Yeah, there you, there, you, there you go. <laughs> Luke Vargas, who talked media news thank you luke thank you hey you know you're going to start hearing non-stop weight loss commercials everywhere and every time you do i want you to think about riduzone it's the only weight loss product i endorse and the one that worked for my wife louise wanted to lose a little weight last summer she read about university research and how one molecule helps regulate appetite riduzone is designed to boost levels of that one molecule and your metabolism too so you stop craving the wrong foods like too many holiday sweets and you burn calories faster. With her appetite and cravings under control, she said losing weight was easy. She has more energy on her hikes, and she looks amazing. Listen, when diet and exercise aren't enough, get the only weight loss product I endorse, non-prescription, FDA-accepted Riduzone. While supplies last, use the promo code TOM, T-H-O-M, and receive 30% off a pack of three bottles plus free shipping. Go to Riduzone.com. That's R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E, R-I-D-U-Zone.com. Riduzone.com. Use the promo code TOM. Riduzone.com. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. And can we carry Corey now? Yeah. Okay. In just a second here, Corey Booker is going to pop up. Uh, he's uh, right now interrogating the guy who is in charge of uh, George Herbert Walker Bush's cover up of Iran Contra. Here he is. Our system. You see, over stigmatized addicted people clogging our system. You see a system where, as Brian Stevenson says, it treats you better if you're rich and guilty than if you're poor and innocent. And you see disproportionately, overwhelmingly for drug crimes, African Americans and Latinos being incarcerated. The importance of your job, and I'll ask you this last question, because you haven't met with me yet, you've given that courtesy to others, would you please meet with me in my office so you and I can have a heart-to-heart -heart on the urgency the cancer on the soul of our country's criminal justice system is a disproportionate impact of that system on those vulnerable communities, including women, over 80% of whom, whom, the women we incarcerate, are survivors of sexual trauma. Can, can you and I sit down and have a longer conversation than these 10 minutes will allow on this issue? I'd, I'd very much welcome that, Senator. Um, you know, I... My experience back in 1992, when, when I when when sort of blood when he was, was advocating higher, longer imprisonment and, and higher penalties. My ideas were actually first formed when I went to Trenton, and the the African American community there essentially surrounded me and was saying, "Look, 
we're in our golden years. We're trying to enjoy our golden years, and we can't even go outside our house. We have bars on our house and so forth. Please, we, these gangs are running roughshod. So I developed this idea called Weed and Seed. And my attitude was, look, let's stop arguing past each other on let's attack root causes and let's get tough on crime. And I, and I, and I felt that for, for programs to work, like after school programs yeah. and so forth. For all okay, stuff, I, I'm, I'm going to pull a plug safe. on this. You know, we uh, this is Barr basically trying to, trying, trying to justify his trough on, trough on crime policies during the Bush presidency that just led to millions and millions of people, particularly people of color, being in prison. This is just incredible. When you consider the fact that the guy who engineered the cover-up of Iran-Contra, William Barr, is now the guy that Donald Trump wants to come in and, in my opinion, engineer a cover-up of Trump-Russia. And the Republicans are going along with this. They're like, nice guy. Anything he says is just fine with us. It's like, where the hell is this going to go? This is Larry Chen writing over at Global Research. CIA covert operative William Barr, nominated by Trump for attorney general, his role in the Iran-Contra affair. This is from uh, Global Research, the Canadian website. He quotes numerous mainstream media pieces saying that respected legal scholar William Barr, he says, in fact, there's nothing to respect and everything to condemn about Barr's work as a key inner circle operative throughout George Herbert Walker Bush's rise to power from CIA director to vice president to president. These aspects of Barr's resume remain whitewashed by mainstream coverage. They've been amply documented by whistleblowers and those who work directly with Barr. It's not his uh, legal mind that we're concerned about. It's his ruthless mind. It's his corrupt mind. It's his willingness to basically reinvent History. At his uh, AG confirmation, Barr vowed to attack criminal organizations, drug smugglers, money launderers. Uh, right. As AG, Barr would preserve, protect, cover up, and nurture the establishment, the apparatus that he helped create, and use the Justice Department to escape punishment. He stonewalled and stopped investigations into all Bush, Clinton, and CIA crimes, including BCCI and BNL CIA drug banking the theft of Inslaw Promise software and all crimes of state committed by Bush. He provided legal cover for Bush's illegal foreign policy and war crimes. That, that would include his you know, attacks ultimately on Iraq, on Saddam Hussein, saying, uh, you, know, you know, we're going to take you out. But, you know, Al Martin wrote this book, The Conspirators, Secrets of an Iran-Contra Insider. He says that the whole Iran-Contra enterprise is a huge operation, that included drugs, weapons, terrorism, war, money laundering, criminal banking, securities fraud, cons currency fraud, real estate fraud, insurance fraud, blackmail, extortion, and political corruption that involved countless Washington politicians. He writes, Iran-Contra itself is a euphemism for the outrageous fraud perpetrated by government officials for power profit and control. Offhandedly, this inaccurate term entered history as shorthand for the public scandals of illicit arms sales to Iran coupled with illicit weapons deals to Nicaragua. The real story, however, is much more complex. When George Bush, Bill Casey, and Oliver North initiated their plan of government sanction and fraud and drug smuggling, they envisioned five, using 500 men to raise $35 billion. They ended up using about 5,000 operatives and making over $35 billion. It became a government within a government, the whole Iran-Contra thing. 
and Barr is the guy who covered it up. Let's pick up Congressman Rokana. Congressman Rokana is the vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, represents the state of California in the U.S. House of Representatives, the 17th District of California. Kana, K-H-A-N-N-A dot house dot gov is the website. You can tweet him at Rep. Ro Kana. Congressman, welcome back. Great to be back on, Tom. Happy New Year. Thank you. Happy New Year to you, too. And thank you for coming on and taking people's calls. What's at the top of your mind? Is it Trump's loyalty to oligarchs who hate government? You know, the, these libertarian oligarchs who, right. who think that if they can shut the government down. In fact, there were comments made back when when uh, Newt Gingrich first shut down the government by some of these same people that, you know, the, the shutdown of the government, if it could last a whole month, would prove we really don't need most of this government stuff. We could do away with a lot of it. So, so there's the oligarch sales pitch. Then there's the Russian sales pitch. Is he is he doing? Is he shutting down the government to harm the United States as part of a larger campaign to harm the United States that's being orchestrated by Putin or somebody else? Or is it just his nature to love oligarchs? You know, he, this is his worldview growing up as an oligarch himself. That Duterte and and Erdogan and Sisi and these guys. That this is just how he thinks. I mean, what are your thoughts on what is going on right now in the White House? Now, my view is probably simplistic, but he made a campaign promise on building this wall, and he thinks that's what got him elected, and he's convinced that's what's going to get him reelected. He believes he defied all the odds the first time, and all the pundits were wrong, and he probably thinks the same thing this time. He doesn't believe in polling because he thinks he's got this magical turnout. And so I think he's wrong, but he he believes he's winning. Problem is that he's so convinced in his own greatness of winning that campaign that he's got far too much confidence in his own political judgment. Hmm. Yeah, well, that's a, a very straightforward explanation for it all, too. Joe in Cupertino, California, you're on the air with Congressman Ka. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Congressman. Democracy's alive and well. I just got back over the weekend from the big, uh, what is it, California Dem vote for our delegates. It was widely attended. There must have been 300 people there, and we stood in line for two hours, and it was the best experience I've ever had. Anyway, when we last spoke, I mentioned to you about the BDS, and you rightfully came out with your own opinion. The next day, though, you came in opposition to uh, Pago, and you eloquently quoted Paul Wellstone. I mean, I don't need to go into what the quote was, but I, this Wellstone was very close to me as a young kid coming up, and his death was so tragic. And as we sit here and we talk about what was going on with the Iran-Contra affair and how there was a relationship between Cheney and this that I never got to run to ground. It just makes me sick to my stomach to think that this could be going on again. At any rate, I'm calling to speak to you about uh, House Resolution 438 being forwarded by the Congressman Bergman. He thinks that the case has been made in public, and I agree that the Democrats need to proceed to the Judiciary Committee with Nedler and start the process, because if the government is shut down for another month, and it appears it's gonna, there's no end in sight, we have 800,000 people whose health insurance is not going to be covered. How else can we force Senator Mitch McConnell to do anything? You could support 438 if it's brought to the page. Maybe convince Nancy to do this as a way to get the government to reopen without funding any stupid idea of an un-American border. Well, Joe, I, uh, I appreciate it. I, first of all, I uh, agree that the president is acting in a way that is uh, abusing his authority. Imagine for a minute if 
we had a Democratic president, if, if Bernie Sanders had been elected, and he had said, if I don't get the Republicans to vote for my uh, Medicare for all bill, uh, I'm going to shut down the government. Uh, you would have people calling him a traitor on Fox News. You would say that this was, they would be saying this is an abuse of the executive office. And there's no reason to set a precedent that a president for their own political causes can shut down the government. And Larry Lessig had a great piece about how that's unconstitutional. I do think we ought to challenge that uh, in the courts. I haven't looked at Sherman's resolution. I'll look at it. Uh, My view, if you're talking about the impeachment proceedings, though, is that the strongest case of wrongdoing is still going to be made by Bob Mueller. That report is going to come out, in my view, in the next month or two. And I have confidence in Nancy Pelosi and the leadership and Jerry Nadler and judiciary to handle that in a deliberate but expeditious manner. Great. Tom in Chicago, listening to WCPT. You're on the air with Congressman McConnell. Thanks, Congressman, for taking my call. Tom, you too. You do a great job. Um, this is an observation and a question. Um, I saw something alarming last week during the NFL playoffs. Um, a commercial came on the air, not by any one corporation or any one particular corporation, but on behalf of all corporations. Hmm. Was saying, in, in essence, that corporate America had the expertise, the knowledge, and the wherewithal to solve all our big societal problems, including, unbelievably, global warming, which they're responsible for, in my opinion. But I was stunned. I was too stunned to get any details. But uh, the gist of it was that corporate America, and only corporate America, not the government, can solve our problems. So my question is, is there anything that the government can do now or perhaps after 2020, to win the marketing war and convince people that the government is a force for good and has done many wonderful things that uh, we all benefit from, like basic science research, you know, which led to Internet and medical advances, interstate highways, man on the moon, defeating Nazism, all that stuff. We're losing the marketing war. The government is. Tom, I would add to that that in 1981, when Reagan was inaugurated and he said government is not the source Uh, is not the solution to our problems. Government is the source of the problems. Government is the problem. At that point in time, over 80% of Americans thought government was a force for good. Today, that number is 16%. Congressman, your thoughts? I think the caller raises an outstanding point, and it's the central challenge, frankly, for those uh, who are progressives, which is to convince people that government can be trusted and government is a force of good and has been a force of good and has been what has propelled uh, American innovation and America's lead. I mean, the caller mentioned basic science at the National Science Foundation. Of the 210 prescription drugs that have been approved by the FDA, every single one of them was funded by NIH research. There is extraordinary work being done at DARPA that basically Silicon Valley wouldn't exist if it weren't for the internet that originally was invented in DARPA and the mouse that originally was invented at DARPA. So yet somehow, and since Reagan, there has been a systematic attack on the role of the government. I agree with the caller that we've been losing that marketing war to corporations and the private sector. I think a marketing campaign on what the United States government is capable of doing and has done is not a bad idea. You're listening to Tom Hartman. 
You've probably heard a lot of stories about drug cartels. They're all over the news. But the crime ring you've probably never heard of is one of the most dangerous in the world. They are the Mennonite mob. You heard right, Mennonites. Nearly 9% of them are kind, God-fearing people. But there's one group that has smuggled millions of dollars in narcotics from Mexico to Canada. This Wednesday at 10, 9 Central, WGN America premieres the new TV series, Pure, based on the true events of the Mennonite mob. The show is about Noah Funk, the newly elected Mennonite pastor who is determined to rid his community of the drug cartel, but he finds himself way in over his head, and the good pastor, along with his wife, will do some very bad things, all in the name of protecting their family. Think of Pure as Breaking Bad meets Witness meets Narcos. Get hooked on Pure! The series premieres Wednesday at 10, 9 Central, only on WGN America. Available on DirecTV, Channel 307, Dish Channel 239, or check your local cable listings for the channel in your area. Dennis in Ridgefield, Washington, watching on Free Speech TV. Dennis, you're on the air with Congressman Khan. Hey, good morning, Tom and Congressman. I'd just like to point out that Donald Trump is a wordsmith. If nothing else, the man knows how to read a script. When he says, I am not working for the Russians, he's probably speaking accurately. Working with, in concert with, or any other word you want to use is true. But he's not working for. Now, why do we keep getting hung up on that one word? Donald Trump is a clear and present danger to our republic. I'm 67 years old, and I have never seen anything like this. I've never seen the media work for Donald Trump as they have. Everyone from Joe Scarborough to anybody on Fox, they all fawned over this man. Sir, why not simply ask Trump? Are you working in concert with the Russians? Pick any word you want to use. Ask it forever. I agree that uh, he is probably obfuscating the problem with the president, though he blatantly lies. I mean, he, he, even if you ask him, well, are you working with the Russians or in concert with the Russians or if the Russians help in any way, he's going to issue a flat-out denial. I mean, this is a president who isn't, frankly, that careful with his words and has no shame about lying and obfuscating when it suits his ends. So I think the only way to hold him accountable is to uh, really have a much stronger presence by Congress. And now that we're in the majority, it's going to be our obligation to hold oversight hearings, to have Mueller come in and testify. We're going to have Cohen coming in and testifying and making sure all of this becomes public. We go where the investigations lead. Marta in Big Bear Lake, California. You're on the air with Congressman Kana. Hello, Congressman Kana and Tom. My question is, how can we promote good relations with Russia instead of conflict? And what should we do, you know, to build peace and constructive dialogue? Can our CIA maybe pull out of some of their counterproductive activities? For example, we've had so much conflict in Syria and Ukraine. Well, I appreciate the question. I think we have to make a distinction between two separate uh, issues. There is uh, the issue of Trump's potential uh, collusion with Russia to win an American election. And there uh, we should have zero tolerance and we should make sure that we investigate and we should make it very, very clear to the Russians that we do not want them interfering in our elections, and there will be consequences if they do that again. And we need to get to the bottom of what happened with Donald Trump and whether there was any collusion. Separate from that, though, we don't want to 
stoke another Cold War with Russia. I mean, that's basically what Putin would want, uh, and we'd be playing into his hands. And this is why it's a mistake for us to be pulling out of arms control treaties that were negotiated. We should be working towards getting into further arms control agreements with Putin, not trying to pull out of them. We ought to look at making sure we're not pushing NATO's expansion too far. I think it was a strategic mistake initially to insist that uh, NATO may expand to Ukraine or Georgia, and that may have given Putin the excuse to try to annex part of Ukraine. I mean, Putin is to be blamed for that action, but it was perhaps unnecessarily provocative to talk about the expansion of NATO to the extent we have. And then we need to look at working with Russia where we can on regional situations uh, in Syria with Assad. Initially, there was a proposal for a peaceful transition from Assad that the Russians had. We thought we would succeed by trying to oust Assad through the rebels and counterinsurgency, and we underestimated how difficult that would be. So making sure that we actually are going to the diplomatic place when there's multilateral solutions required like there was in Syria. But again, my broad point is Democrats should talk about holding the president accountable with Russia without surrendering to a rhetoric of the Cold War. Joe in Burbank, California, you're on the air with Congressman Kana. Congressman Kana, thank you for coming on Tom's show. Between you and Congressman Pocan, we really are uh, getting well informed. My question is about the corporate Dems versus the progressive Dems in the party. Now here in Los Angeles, we have a teacher strike. The L.A. school superintendent is Austin Butner, and he's a former hedge fund manager. And we look at the infiltration of money in our own party. How are we going to deal with that? Well, I appreciate your mentioning Mark Pocan. He is uh, our co-chair of the Progressive Caucus. He is doing an outstanding job. I don't think the Progressive Caucus has ever been stronger uh, under his leadership. So I... Uh, have a lot of respect uh, for him. I've tweeted out my support for the strike. The strike is based on some very simple principles down in L.A. Basically, teachers want more pay. They deserve more pay. Twenty percent of L.A. Unified right now is being run by charter schools through private companies that aren't allowing unionization, and those charters don't have to take kids with disabilities or kids who don't have English as a first language. And these teachers are saying, stop the privatization of our school district by just handing out these charters. That was never the intent of the charter school movement. Charters were supposed to be laboratories for innovation within public schools, not moves to get rid of unions and privatization. So I definitely think Democrats should stand on the side of the teachers in that strike. You're point about corporate Democrats have a greater corporate bent is true, and it's an ideological fight, and we need to win it. The good news is in the House, Progressive Caucus is up to 90 people, and I do think we're winning, and certainly uh, we've made a tremendous amount of progress over the past years. Sharice in Polsbo, Washington. I was wondering about the Democratic platform for 220, and Tom, I know you've read Roosevelt's Second Bill of Rights, mm. and I think if the Democrats would read the Second Bill of Rights, just the list of them, campaign on that alone, every person in America would resonate with that, and it's also the answer to uh, what would Jesus do? He would do everything on that list. 
I mean, if religion is important to people, you Thank can you. read it. It's amazing. Thank you, Cherise. I appreciate it. Well, you may be in luck. I think Bernie Sanders may do that. With the corollary, as of course you know and Tom knows, that the New Deal was not very fair to African Americans who were excluded. So we want to have, I think, the second Bill of Rights, but one that's inclusive uh, along racial lines. And, and that may be uh, in very much uh, Sanders' 2020 campaign. Yeah, be a good thing. So uh, the 10 seconds we have left, what should we be looking for this coming week? Well, we're still working to keep government open, but the one thing we're not going to do is give this president what he wants. There's no Democrat who's going to vote for border wall money, but we're going to continue to make the case that this president's doing real damage to real people. I mean, I was at the uh, members' uh, dining room today, and someone came in to me sheepishly and said, you know, bro, I, my brother works for a local hotel, and D.C. is dead, and no one's there, and he's getting hurt. I mean, people, this is affecting real lives. It really is. Congress Thanks so much for being with us today. Today in the Tom Harvin Book Club, we're featuring The Inner Level by Richards Wilkinson and Kate Pickett. It's a new book. The subtitle is How More Equal Societies Reduce Stress, Restore Sanity, and Improve Everyone's Well-Being. This is in Chapter 6, The Misconception of Meritocracy, page 161. Boris Johnson, the former mayor of London who became foreign secretary in Theresa May's conservative government in 2016, was educated at Eton and Oxford. Giving the Margaret Thatcher lecture to a think tank in 2013, he articulated the view that economic equality will never be possible because some people are simply too stupid to catch up with the rest of society. Quote, whatever you may think of the value of IQ tests, it is surely relevant to a conversation about equality that as many as 16% of our species have an IQ below 85. Comparing society to a box of cornflakes, he praised inequality for creating the conditions under which the brightest triumph. Quote, the harder you shake the pack, the easier it will be for some cornflakes to get to the top, end quote. Inequality, quote, is essential for the spirit of envy and keeping up with the Joneses that is, like greed, a valuable spur to economic activity. Whether or not Johnson is quite as clever a cornflake as he presumably likes to think, he certainly is not in command of the facts. Nobel Prize winning economists, as well as the OECD and IMF, have shown how inequality, far from spurring on economic growth, leads to stagnation and instability. Social mobility is reduced where income inequality is greatest and far from inspiring innovation. It turns out that there are actually slightly more patents granted per head of population in more equal countries. And as we've seen in the previous chapters, there's also the undeniable human cost of our fixation with keeping up with the Joneses. But Boris is far from alone in his misconceptions about the relationships between inequality and ability. The idea that people are naturally endowed with differences in ability, intelligence, or talent, and that those differences then determine how far up the social ladder they reach, is a powerful popular justification for social hierarchy. The presumption is that we live in a meritocracy in which the key to status is ability. We think of society as shaped like a pyramid. The supposition is that most people are near the bottom or only a little above it because the bulk of the population lack the special talents that we imagine people need to get to the top. The belief that differences in ability are the main influence on where people end up on the social ladder is so strong that we tend to judge everyone's personal worth, ability, and intelligence by their position in society. Nor is this confined simply to how we judge others. It also affects how people see themselves. Those at the top often believe that they're there because they are naturally endowed with plenty of the right stuff, 
just as many of those near the bottom think that their low status reflects a lack of ability. That picture, however, is not supported by the latest scientific evidence. First, research now shows that a very major part of what happens to people and where they end up is the result of totally unpredictable influences and occurrences amounting to pure luck. Second, aside from luck, the most important links that exist between ability and status operate in the opposite direction of that imagined by most people. Rather than different endowments of talents determining position in the hierarchy, it's much nearer the truth to say that position in the hierarchy determines abilities, interests, and talents. But let's address luck first. Whether or not we consider ourselves successful, most of us can probably look back across our own life histories and recognize the roles that luck and chance have played in getting us to where we are. We're perhaps lucky with schools or teachers, with the questions on an important exam, with some nameless person dealing with university applications, or we got on well with an interviewer when applying for a job. Perhaps a chance meeting was important, or perhaps an opportunity for promotion came up unexpectedly. Finding a life partner is just as important for our quality of life as our career or income, but we are far happier to acknowledge that chance and luck played a key role in meeting that person than we are in acknowledging luck's role in our career. No one minds mentioning the chance meeting, the circumstances that put you both at ease with each other, or the shared interest that might easily have gone unrecognized. The role of chance makes people's lives highly unpredictable. Although there are huge social class biases and social mobility, there are at the same time vast numbers of people moving up or down the social ladder in ways that even the most detailed analysis of parenting and ability fail to predict. In addition to all this, there may be a large element of chance in whatever our experiences, including subjective experiences, trigger the kind of epigenetic changes affecting subsequent development. Just as the development of weather systems is sometimes said to be so chaotic it can be changed by the flapping of a butterfly's wings, so what amounts to chance events at the social or the cellular level are now thought to play a very substantial part in our lives. So much so, the scientists have worried that if random chance and luck are such important determinants of whether or not an individual becomes sick, gets good exam results, or has a good marriage, it becomes difficult to understand causal pathways at all. The book The Inner Level by Wilkinson and Pickett. William Barr, the guy who engineered the cover-up of Iran-Contra, who kept Ronald Reagan's reputation intact and kept George Herbert Walker Bush from going to jail, the guy who shut down Congresses and the Justice Department and the special prosecutors' investigations into whether George Herbert Walker Bush had committed crimes as vice president or even as a candidate with Ronald Reagan in 1980, when they were running for president and vice president together, whether he had committed crimes with regard to the whole Iran-Contra affair of Iran holding the hostages longer, and in exchange for that, the Reagan administration selling them weaponry, and then using that money to ship weapons down to Costa Rica, Honduras, Nicaragua, El Salvador, and then you know take the money from those or take payments for those weapons in drugs and bring those drugs into the United States. I mean, there's this whole sordid mess and it looked like George Herbert Walker Bush might be actually looking at going to jail. You know, he played a role in this. Certainly Casper Weinberger and five other people in the administration were looking at jail time. And it was William Barr who said, no, we're going to pull a plug on that one. And advised President Bush the Elder to pardon all six of them by way of shutting down the investigation. That's the guy that Donald Trump now wants to be his attorney general. That's the guy who was speaking earlier before Congress. 
I mean, you know, very straightforward stuff. Heidi Hess, the co-director of Credo Action, says William Barr is Brett Kavanaugh all over again, a bigoted nominee handpicked to give Donald Trump a pass when it comes to the Russian investigation. And in fact, you know, really important point. Now, in, you know, I just caught a few things here from his testimony. But the main thing that I caught was that prior to Barr, pretty much, as I recall, all of the nominees who were, you know, considered for this position going, you know, way, way back. I mean, you know, I'm not the one who did the research on this. I've seen it cited in several different sites. Basically, everyone who sat there in that chair and was questioned about whether they would take the advice of the Office of Government Ethics, you know, when they say, I mean, there's this actual branch inside the executive branch whose job is to tell people who work for the president when they can do something and when they can't under the law. And the uh, Office on Ethics advised Jeff Sessions, you have to recuse yourself. And he did. And it wasn't just Jeff Sessions. Every person from Jeff Sessions going back, you know, 20, 30 years, who has been sitting in the Senate applying for the job of attorney general, when asked, will you recuse yourself from something if the Office of Ethics says you should, has said yes. Barr did not say yes. He said he would seriously consider what they have to say, but he would make the decision himself. In other words, yeah, I might be conflicted. I might have written a 19-page memo talking to Donald Trump, you know, that was distributed to Jared Kushner's lawyers and Ivanka Trump's lawyers and Mike Pence's lawyers and Donald Trump's lawyers saying, you know, yeah, the whole Mueller thing is poorly conceived and it's a problem. I might have done all that, but so what? I'm still going to make decisions about this investigation. And it's not just this investigation. This guy is a hardcore right-winger and has been since he was AG under George Herbert Walker Bush. In addition to masterminding the cover-up for George Herbert Walker Bush that saved the Republican presidency and saved the reputation of Ronald Reagan. Very few people now today know that Ronald Reagan committed treason to become president and that George Herbert Walker Bush was probably in on it. We never really knew for sure because William Barr stopped the investigation. Literally, as soon as the special prosecutor, Lawrence Walsh, started asking for George Herbert Walker Bush's diaries, boom, Barr comes in and says, okay, that's it. It's all over now. We're going to pardon these six people. You got nothing to investigate. You're out of business. And that was brought up this morning, but, you know, in kind of a mealy mouth way. I mean, you've got to, and, you know, the Democrats who might be running for president, Amy Klobuchar, Kamala Harris, I believe Cory Booker's on the committee. The three of them keep an eye, particularly on Kamala Harris, former prosecutor. She is a hardball questioner. And she may well lay this out the way I just did, but, you know, I'm not holding my breath. But then, you know, the other issue, we, you know, he did this morning, he tried to say, well, you know, back in 92, we had the highest crime rate in the history of the United States. Well, you know, it was fairly high, but it wasn't, you know, like after the Civil War or something. But, you know, yeah, we had a high crime rate. And he says, you know, so we had to have these minimum maximum sentences and lots, you know, heavy enforcement and stuff like that. Right. Vanita Gupta, the Leadership Council on Civil, Civil and Human Rights writes, as Attorney General Barr, and this is back under George Herbert Walker Bush, Bush the Elder, as Attorney General Bush, uh, Barr 
demonstrated a draconian approach to law enforcement that helped build the system of mass incarceration we have today, which continues to decimate poor black and brown communities. This is a piece he published in CAFE on Monday. He said, yet he denied evidence of racial disparities, telling a reporter, our system is fair and does not treat people differently. It was untrue then. It is still untrue now. In fact, they, he goes on to point out, Barr later backed a 1992 Justice Department report, the case for more incarceration, as the prison population in the United States soared. The report irresponsibly stated, we are incarcerating too few cr criminals and the public is suffering as a result. He also co-chaired a commission in the mid-1990s that recommended abolishing parole. As Vanita Gupta says, we don't need Jeff Sessions 2.0. Kristen Clark, the Lawyers Committee on Civil Rights. Barr's nomination comes following a period that has proven to be devastating when it comes to civil rights enforcement in our country. At every turn, this Justice Department has abandoned enforcement of civil rights laws in a reverse course in pending cases. It's really pretty breathtaking who this guy is and what he's all about. There are also some interesting questions that all of this raises. By the way, I, you know, I mentioned uh, Barr's perspective on, on race. Uh, oh, everything's good, you know, white supremacy, just everything's good. Today would have been uh, Martin Luther King's 90th birthday. He was born on this day in 1921, 29, excuse me. Same year my mother was born, as I recall. So he would have been 90 today, as would my mother have been. Anyhow, he said, uh, King said, nothing in, in all the world is more dangerous than sincere ignorance and conscientious stupidity. And he said, he who pass passively accepts evil is as much involved in it as he who helps to perpetuate it. He accepts evil without protesting against it is really cooperating with it. Amen. Now, meanwhile, another one of the stories out there, and I think this, this one is particularly uh, startling, is that Mike Pence and Mike Pompeo, the two Mikes, are members of a doomsday cult. I mean, literally, there's no other way to say it than that. They, they believe that, that uh, God is going to destroy most humans on the earth that 144,000 uh, Jews will survive in Israel, they will then convert to Christianity, and then Jesus will return. And, you know, a third of the earth will be destroyed by fire, and a third by, you know, blah de blah de blah And what this philosophy essentially says to people, this doomsday apocalyptic cult philosophy, that Mike Pence and Mike Pompeo have both on the record, spoken out numerous times in support of. What this says is that global warming doesn't matter. The world's going to end anyway, and Jesus is going to make it all new. By the way, that's a quote from James Watt, not specific to global warming, but James Watt was Reagan's Secretary of the Interior. And when he was confronted with a reporter about why are you selling off federal lands for pennies on the dollar for oil exploration and uranium exploration when it's ruining these public parks, and James Watts said, well, Jesus is going to come again and make all things new, so it won't matter. So, I mean, this has been part of this, this, this apocalyptic thinking has been used by the Republican Party literally since the 1980s to say it doesn't matter what we do. You, you don't need the EPA to protect the environment. It's all going to get cleaned away by the end of the world. You don't need the Interior Department to protect the parks. You know, let the rich people loot them for all, loot them for all they can. 
steal all the, all the property they want. Because it's all going to be rebooted. It's all going to be made new again when Jesus returns. This, this philosophy or this theology, this religion, this idea, this, this, this apocalyptic idea that the world is going to end and it's a good thing has justified playing chicken with nuclear war, playing chicken with, with the global warming, uh, you know, I mean, just this whole spectrum of, of things, of areas where the Republican Party has said, yeah, we, you know, we don't have any responsibility for this. Or, or if we do, we don't care because the world is going gonna, is gonna to start over again. This is, this is dangerous stuff. I mean, Mike Pence and Mike Pompeo, they don't just give lip service to this stuff. Most Republican politicians just give lip service to it because they want to get the evangelical vote. Pompeo and Pence go out of their way to talk about the rapture, to talk about the, the end of days, to talk about, you know, Jesus is real. I mean, Mike Pompeo gave a speech the other day where he said, you know, any day now. The end of the world is coming. Well, what does that mean? What does that look like? Does that look like war with Iran, China, Russia? I mean, how much nuclear war do you want, right? So some really, really, uh, uh, frankly, startling issues. And, you know, William Barr, he's going to bluff his way through this the same way that Kavanaugh did, in my humble opinion. I, you know, he's a very smart man, and he's not going to say anything stupid. And the Republicans are going to cut him all the slack they can. Everyone's talking about the decline in stock values over the last few months. If you've been listening to Lynette Zhang's YouTube show, you probably aren't surprised by the fall. Her fact-based research on markets, currencies, and economics is second to none. And her presentations have pointed to most every major downfall we've recently seen in the U.S. economy. Her video titled Just Before the Crash showed people the exact patterns to look out for and now has over 210,000 views and counting. Lynette Zhang has been on my show and works with my friends at ITM Trading. I highly recommend looking them up as they are pioneers in creating wealth protection strategies with gold and silver. If you're a strategic investor looking to protect your wealth or just hedge against the most volatile markets since 2007, then call my friends at ITM Trading at one 888 gold Ask for their free gold protection guide and join the top 1% who are now accumulating very specific types, dates, and qualities of physical gold and silver. Call 1-888-OWN-GOLD. That's 1-888-O-W-N-G-O-L-D. Those folks who support our program, who help essentially sponsor us on YouTube and on Patreon, uh, have access to content that is generally not available on YouTube or in, you know, anyplace else. The rant this week that we recorded just a few minutes ago, actually, is about how the cell phone companies have been selling your data. And now they swear, double cross your heart and hope to die. Don't worry. We're not going to sell your data anymore. Right. Meanwhile, Gene Shaheen is saying, you know, the drug companies are ripping us off. And at the same time, they're spending billions of dollars on advertising to jack up demand for products that in many cases we don't need and are actually harming us. So she's saying do away with the tax break that they get. Advertising is tax deductible. Do away with that tax deduction. I mean, cool stuff. There's a lot of ways to regulate these companies. And it's so good to see that Congress is actually starting to do something about it. Thank you for supporting Patreon.com slash Tom Hartman. Welcome back. Tom Harmon here with you and Carrie in Huntington, New York. Hey, Carrie, what's on your mind today? I was thinking about this when we were talking about the state of emergency, or Trump calling the state of emergency. Even if the Democrats can keep him tied up in court to fight that, that would probably take a long time. But 
in the event that a new president is elected in 2020, couldn't they do something to reverse that regardless? Um, yes. Most of the things that Trump can do and most of the damage that he can do can be reversed by a Democratic House, Senate and White House. And Lord willing and the Crick don't rise, we'll, we'll hopefully get that in 2020. But an enormous amount of damage could be done between now and then. So you know, we'll, we'll see where this goes. Uh, Kamala Harris is uh, interviewing Mr. Barr right now. Here's a, just a quick clip from that. Um, earlier today, Senator Leahy asked whether you would follow the recommendation of career Department of Justice ethics officials on whether you should recuse yourself from the Mueller investigation. You said, quote, I will seek the advice of the career ethics personnel, but under the regulations, I make the decisions as the head of the agency as to my own recusal. You also said to Senator Klobuchar that you do not want to, quote, abdicate your duty since recusal decision would be um, yours. So my question is, would it be appropriate to go against the advice of career ethics officials that have recommended recusal? And can you give an example of under what situation or scenario you would go against their recommendation that you recuse yourself? Well, there, there, are different, there are different kinds of uh, recusals. Some are mandated, for example, if you have a financial interest, but there are others that are judgment calls. And Let's imagine it's a judgment call, and the judgment by the career ethics officials in the agency are that you recuse yourself. Then, Under then what in, scenario would you not follow their recommendation? If I disagreed with it. And what would the basis of that disagreement be? I came to a different judgment. On what basis? The facts. Such as? such as whatever facts are relevant to the recusal. What do you imagine the facts would be that are relevant to the recusal? It, they could be innumerable. I mean, there are a lot of, you know, for example, uh, there's a rule of necessity, like who else would be handling it. It could be... Do you believe that would be a concern in this situation? If, you are re if the recommendation is that you recuse yourself from the Mueller investigation, do you believe that would be a concern, that there'd be no one left to do no, the I'm job? Just saying, well, in some, in some contexts, there Boy, very well this, might this be. This guy is just incredibly uh, slippery. This is just, he's just so incredibly slippery. But uh, she's not going to get a straight answer to her question. <laughs> Obviously, he's saying, you know, you give me a hypothetical. What do you expect? It's a hypothetical response. Arthur in Rio Vista, California. Hey, Arthur, what's up? Just another FYI. We were listening to uh, Stephanie Miller yesterday, and a caller said, who, you, who, who evidently worked many years in radio, said uh, that uh, Fox 40 does not have a certification or a license or whatever it is from the FCC for news. It has only for entertainment. No, the FCC doesn't grant permission for news versus entertainment. There's, there's not a category like that, Arthur. So all they have to oh, do so is evidently that was okay. That yeah, was. that was somebody who was misinformed. Arthur, thanks a lot right. for the call. It's great to hear from you, and thank you all for being with us today. It's a fascinating day. Uh, the uh, bar hearings roll on, and we'll see if you know some Democrat can manage to pull some really tough question out of their back pocket and say, here, what do you think about this? Um, I'm still waiting for him to answer about why he covered up the Iran-Contra scandal. In the meantime, don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires you. Get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.